Welcome to this week's A Slice of Golf, the place for a view on all things golf through the eyes of the average golfer. This week, we're going to talk about if we've learned anything from our chat with a golf psychologist last week. We're going to weigh in on the accuracy versus distance debate. Speaking of weight, we're going to discuss beefed up Bryson, and we're also going to discuss whether European tour players should be going over to the PGA events. So come join along, as ever, brought to you by myself, Tim Williams. Myself, Chris Wright. And me, Ben Fowlis. All right, welcome along. Uh, chaps, good to see you. Hope you're both doing well. I believe all three of us were out on the course this weekend, so let's get straight into it. How did it go? Talk to me. Uh, Chris, kick, kick me off. What's been going on? Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, my round on Saturday can be described mixed snag. Uh, it wanted on Friday when I went to the range. Uh, went to the range and it was my one session of the week. One range annoyed me. I uh, got 100 balls, followed the plan exactly as coach uh, said, and I hit out of 100 balls, I reckon 97 hooks, and it was driving me nuts because I just couldn't figure out what I was doing. That sent me into a bit of a tailspin, open up on like walk us to Saturday morning, um, range wasn't open on the on at the course we played at, we played at um, Black Nest uh, over sort of Farnham Way, and so I was kind of like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I was literally stood at the first tee going, yes, there, I was hitting hook, 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 hook. I don't know what I'm about <laughs> to do because like normally I'd like at least hit 20 balls. Like so you can get an idea of what your shot shape is going to be that day. Um, So I kind of just stood on the first tee, aimed down the right hand side and hoped for the best more than anything. Uh, luckily it went okay. Uh, but it was kind of, it was a real mixed bag. There was lots of lefts going on and just not even controllable like hooks. I normally kind of feel like I can get a hold of. I was just a bit all over the place. Uh, scored 29 points in the end, but I did a bit of, not not a full crybaby foulness, but by the last three or four holes, I started going, okay, let's just play around and 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 play some shots I wouldn't necessarily normally try because I'm fully aware I'm not going to score 36 points here. Um, so I tried a couple of longer approach shots that I probably wouldn't normally try, shaped a couple of shots, which I wouldn't normally do, so that was a bit of fun. Um, sure, didn't help me with my rankings in the, the Frey Bentos <laughs> leaderboard, but I figured, hey, let's use this. Uh, guys, we were playing Bob, Ben, Percival. Percival hasn't picked up a club in six months, turned up and scored 33 points or something. I can't remember what he scored, but I was just watching him going, well, this is ridiculous. Maybe <laughs> come back and just feel good about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, short game was good. The big positive for me was short game. Recovery, really good. Um, just off the tee was just leaving me in too much trouble overall but yeah really really enjoyable please gone out uh, did lose out of the four of us though which has annoyed me this cruel mistress that we all love called gold <laughs> just turn up and uh smash 30 or odd points sometimes it, sometimes listen look we're this is this is the life of the average golfer sometimes we just have to wake up Sunday and realize golf is just not going to make sense at all for us one day um I feel you I feel you Ben how'd you get on Nick yeah so I, I went out Friday um I kind of finished up with last client kind of one o'clock we were out on a course at three o'clock mm-hmm. uh I think 20 past three we teed off lovely mm-hmm. weather was excellent was new course I've not played before I cannot for the life of me remember the name of it <laughs> Um, but it was uh, a pal of mine from work. He said, do, did I want to go out? Um, as a guest, it was only 20 quid as well. So it was an absolute steal. Right. Um, Friday evening, had a couple of beers. Yeah, it was excellent. Um, it was uh, different to a lot of the courses we've played recently in that 
I wasn't stepping onto most tees, just instinctively going driver. Mm. It was very narrow. So every tee box I stepped on, um, you know, I'm probably most confident of all the clubs in my bag. Drivers is, is up there. So I would, I would naturally just go to it. But even then, it was one of those courses that actually made me think. So I really enjoyed it because of that, uh, because I haven't played a course similar to that in a while. Um, I played, yeah, played all right. Had, I think, six, which is, is, I think is the best I've ever had. I had six, like, birdie attempts with inside 10 feet. Made oh. three of them, lipped out two of them, and one was just um, re- really short. So uh, the green and red stats was, was pretty good. And, and obviously, only losing one ball helped. Um, maybe there's something in that, not taking driver every time off the tee. <laughs> Makes a big difference. Um, but yeah, walk, walked away with, with 35 points. So yeah, Very all nice. in, pretty happy. Nice. What about you, Timbo? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to be invited down to uh, Cotsmoor, Cotsmoor, I think it's called, um, down Surrey Way this weekend for a nice round on Saturday morning. Um, conversely to Chris, actually, I had a very nice rain session on Friday and actually there, there, there was no range facility available at the club I was at. So there was just some hitting nets to hit into. And actually, f- to be honest, it didn't really bother me. I was quite happy just to have a few swings in the net and felt pretty good and ready to go. Now, the course itself, we we elected to play off the whites because it's quite different. Apparently, the course is very, very different if you play off the whites and play off the yellows in that you need to think so much more around the golf course. Um, and it absolutely proved to be true. I mean, I didn't score particularly well, but I mean, uh, similar-ish to, to Ben. I think I, think I lost, I don't think I lost maybe one, no, two, two balls in my entire round. So I wasn't being erratic or anything like that. I would just say not knowing the course and a, being a thinking course, I reckon the majority of holes I had an error on the hole and it's just and it's just enough it's just enough to punish you. But actually, funny enough, I actually kind of enjoyed it off the back of that because in a sense, I don't mind so much when you play a new course that's completely uncharted, requires you to think to try and think your way around. And a few things, if they they don't go well, you just you just reassess afterwards, go, like, oh, okay, maybe my miss on that kind of hole is going to be to is going to be to the right. So I just need to work on that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't score particularly well, but I really enjoyed it. It was a great course, um, good company. And yeah, I think the, the key out of, out of for me and the massive learning is I, I just need, you know, we've, we've not been playing for obviously whatever it is, three months, four months. I just need more time on a golf course at the moment, just to kind of get, get the feel of things, obviously playing off things like sloped lies or different kind of hitting out of different kinds of rough, um so yes ball strike is not a problem it's just it's just the thinking way around the golf course that i'm working on at the moment so but I'm, I'm i'm quite i'm quite cool with that i'm quite happy with that so um yeah we we take that and move on yes chris i can looking to step in here itching um after last week we had james on right now hmm. my to implement any of what he said started off strong on the on the front line and then I, my ability to maintain it, the, the one that I was really, really focusing on was the, uh, I get to the ball and like, not like, not think about anything other than one thing, i.e. the deep breath or, and for me it was, okay, where's my, and that was all I was focusing on. And I found that like a really good thing to focus on, but actually, and as I found myself getting through the round, my ability to focus on the, especially on, I really, really struggled with, like I just couldn't, it's not, not like the shot wasn't important to the case, but it's like I just couldn't get that actually that focus. I think probably because I was so unsure about what I was doing with the shot, if that makes sense. But I found it really difficult to then maintain just 
focus on what what's the what's your weight doing on your feet um but i was wondering like did you guys manage to implement any of that yourselves tim bc right there Chris. I, I feel like this is exactly one of the things that james was talking about last week in that clearly your la the last thing you did right before you stepped up to the golf course on saturday was you had fair to say a less than ideal range sesh right it was a shit range so, session tim let's, yeah. let's uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, was be, I was trying to be polite about yeah, it okay yeah. let's just go get, get range session. um obviously it sounds like you, you carried that on into into saturday and you were sort of thinking about oh god what am i doing wrong how do i get rid of this fix oh what mm. another problem comes in it kind of spirals um yeah for sure so yeah, conversely for me because i had quite a good session on friday i felt pretty relaxed coming into it and also after this after the session during the week i'd also I think in the past I've been guilty of putting so much emphasis on my next round. I in every every time I've got, I've got my next round, yeah. I was like, right, this round, it's got to be 36, 40 points. has to be. Whereas actually this week I was really conscious of, oh, you know what? Last weekend I was erratic off the tee and I was – and obviously there was, there was a thin shot lurking in there. So for me it was more like, you know what, let's just see how this weekend goes. I don't know this course, so I'm not going to be able to really gauge – if I've picked up and improved from last week, because it's difficult to do that on a, on a visiting course. So for me, it was more along the lines of a, can I enjoy it all the way around and not get frustrated and not get wound up, which worked. Um, what I took out of it was I was much better off the tee. Didn't lose ball off the tee. was hitting most fairways. Um, there are, there are some issues in my game. There's still a bit of a push shot that's creeping in, but you know what? It's not like I'm playing for, the open last Saturday, as far as I'm concerned, they are all just chapters and stuff that's for me to continually build on. And that's just how I'm choosing to see things at the moment. So I'm not like sitting here looking at the weekend and being like, okay, I didn't, I didn't hit my 36 points. I'm livid. It's more like, okay, fine. Hit that. Got a few, few things to work on. Need to work on probably my course, ma course management, learn a bit more about my misses and play to those. Fine. I'll pick that up and I'll, I'll, I'll apply that next time. So yeah, I massively took a load out of last week. Benjamin, what about you? Yeah. It, I, I think, implemented it pretty well. And I felt great because of it, um, because we turned up 10 minutes before tea time. Um, so <laughs> it was a case of three or four uh, wedges into the net, three or four seven irons, two parts on the tee, off we go. So I started off uh, one point blob, typically two through through two holes. That yep. would... That would see me not a very happy boy, kind of thinking, oh, you know, fuck this, let's... Uh, it's going to be a long day. Let's get round. But I found I was stepping on the third tee absolutely fine. Now, I don't know whether that was tapering expectations based on the fact that I knew I had no preparation, no warm-up yeah. whatsoever. But still, I managed to – yeah, it did make a big difference because I was on the third tee thinking, right, it's the first time I played this, playing with a mate from work who I haven't played with before. Let's just chill out and just enjoy it. And yeah. from there on, that's when the, the points started coming in and, and gradually kind of worked my way into the game. It's something that we've, we've worked on before is <laughs> not not using the first two holes as a warm-up, but the first two yeah. holes this weekend were a warm-up, uh, definitely. Um, but the, the mental side of it, I, was, I feel like I was, was pretty good at the weekend. That's yeah. awesome. But I do also think, with going back to what kind of Chris was saying, it, is, it's, it's not going to change in one, is it? It's going to be no different to... At, adding or altering to your swing it's always going to be something that you continually try to work on right so exactly. if you were shy with it this week there's always next week exactly part of me right. one of the things that i 
really kind of focused on the week before, was it the week before, two weeks before, we'd had like a competition within the four ball, right? It was a 2v2 situation. There was pennies, I mean, pennies on the line, but it super got me focused. And I was wondering as we we're going around, as I know it counts towards the league, I get that. But I was like, hey, what's what's my competition? What's my game? Like, honestly, Fowlis, last year we had a, a period where it was jokingly how many rounds of Ben to beat Chris. And it started off as a joke. And then I was like, well, that's one round. Oh, that's two rounds. Oh, that's three rounds. And actually that like super got me focused. Like that's like got me dialed in. And I wonder whether I should be giving myself like games and little competitions if I'm not doing a competition on the day, but within myself to try and beat, um, to try and help get me focused. So it's something that I want to try and play around with. Well, mate, you got it's what James was saying last week, though, isn't it? You're in golf. You're never, you're never really playing. You're never really playing the other people, right? You're mm. playing yourself and you're playing the course, and that is something that's 100%. something that really stuck in my head. Um, in that, you know, with the greatest respect for the people I was playing with on Saturday, I didn't really have any interest in how they were scoring. Frankly, I mean, obviously, you congratulate them on the good shots and sure. all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't sitting there. You know, one, none of us scored particularly well, by the way. But I mean, one of the guys was on. Uh, maybe 15 points at the turn, okay. which, you know, is fine. Oh, good. Um, but I wasn't looking at those 15 points being like, oh, you know, he might go on and score quite well. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll like try and overhaul his points telling on the back nine. It was no, there was nothing like that, to oh. be honest for me. But I suspect I'm a different beast to um, certainly Mr. Fowlis, who I feel needs competition in pretty much everything he does. <laughs> I to say. I 100% I know I I always respond better with competition if someone were to say oh this is just a friendly match I'm like well I might go home I'll uh unless there's a little bit of something on it um and I, I know yeah I always perform better and I, I enjoy it more when I know there's I'm chasing something down or, or I'm competing against someone I think we've, we've spoken about that kind of just even personally Chris I know you you uh you do pretty well on the competitive side yeah 100% it just gives me that well, it gives me that I think it just gives me a focus that I just don't get if it's super friendly just chilled out well you know what we talk, we're talking about competition and trying to improve ourselves obviously on the old PGA, PGA tour and I've got a bit of beef with the Instagram of the PGA at the moment because of their um, sorry for all the fans out there I'm sure he does have plenty of them I feel there's some undue co- coverage of going on of, of uh, Mr. Bryson DeChambeau at the moment. Now, I'm going to come back to talk about Bryson in a bit more depth in a little bit but it did provoke a little bit of an, an interesting uh, conversation between us over the weekend and it brings us back to a classic classic conundrum when it comes to golf and we are going to go there we're going to go there we're going to throw our um we're going to throw our hat into the ring come on distance versus accuracy gents we need to take this on um i'm gonna hand over to ben in a little bit but just just my a little thought starter from me just to kick things off so i was looking at the top 10 longest hitters on the tour on pga tour today now, it makes for interesting reading because of the 10, you would probably say it's almost half and half in terms of the guys who win big and the guys that don't win big. So in terms of the guys that win big, that are within that top 10 of uh, biggest hitters, you're talking Sergio, you're talking Bubba, you're talking Rory, you're talking uh, Justin Thomas, you're talking DJ. Equally, at the same time, within that top five, and this is with the greatest respect to these golfers, you've got Cam Champ, You've got Bryson nowadays, Ryan Brem and Matthew Wolf. With the greatest respect to those five people I've just mentioned, there's not a lot of wins in there, is all I'm going to say at this point. So I can see that Ben is itching, itching 
to get in on this. So without any further ado, I'm going to hand this over to Mr. Fowlis for some initial thoughts before we go to Chris. I mean, this is it's something that it, it gets a bee under my bonnet quite a bit when the pros talk about it because it only ever seems to be um, let's bash the PGA pros, let's bash the, the makers of the equipment um, for all of the technological advances which are allowing players to hit the ball further now. But the thing is, it is the way it is. Players evolve. Training methods uh, have evolved over the years. We have gotten stronger. We've gotten faster. Technology is going to become better. You know, you wouldn't, in the Formula One set, you wouldn't get an ex-racing driver come back and be like, no, we've got to slow the cars down because technology has advanced us on too much. I mean, now that literally happened. Don't, don't worry, carry on. I mean, that did happen, but carry on. We get. I don't, I don't watch Formula One. <laughs> no, that's kind of <laughs> muted my point quite a lot. But my basically my point is the game. The game has developed. The game of football is different now to what it was twenty years ago, which is different to what it was forty years ago. The game is different now. We can't compare what it was to, to what it is. And on the on the whole, kind of. Uh, Distance versus accuracy, Matto. It's, it's, it's gonna, people are going to have strengths to their game, yep. always. There are going to be some outstanding putters which don't win a lot because they just don't have the all-round game around it. And I think driving distance is brought to the front, brought to the conversation because you are seeing players now. On average, yes, they are hitting it further. And even like, as you, as you alluded to just then, without tarnishing them as average, but the average PGA Tour Pro is going to hit the ball further. It is the way it is. It's... I don't know. It's, it's players are always going to go down one route of what is more important. And there is a direct correlation with distance off the tee and, and mm-hmm. kind of performance, or, or so it's reported. So if you're looking at every aspect of the game of golf is where can you make up the most shots, players now are prioritising distance and prioritising length. Uh, and I think this has to do with something I'm going to go on to uh, a bit later on. But yeah, that's kind of my piece on it, right? How do you feel? Yeah, I um... I kind of agree with you. I think sport evolves. I think if I don't, I don't know enough, and I'm not going to pretend to know enough about like the actual the, the stats behind it in terms of compared to 20 years ago, 40 years. Do I care? I mean, not really. I think the only time it becomes potentially an issue is if, and I think yeah, I'm pretty sure Ben or Tim, one of you've got the actual stats to prove me wrong. If it were, if it is that much of an issue that it causes golf courses to become obsolete, i.e. they physically don't have the space to add 50 yards, 100 yards per hole, that's when it, for me, then starts to become a problem. Not because I don't want to see it, just purely because, well, where do you, where do you play? Like, do you have to start building new golf courses just for that? And I'm not even saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I think it, for me, I have no issue with people hitting long drives none whatsoever it's it's enjoyable to watch you know you got and and also the what i find quite fascinating is the different statures that you jt in that top five compared to a dj above her they're different they're different human beings like physically like they're different and you just the seed that jt rotates i'm just like how does he get anything hitting the ball with any kind of timing with the speed that he moves? That for me is, I like, I love it. That, that, that's, that's incredible. Like I just, I, I find it quite 
it's fascinating, right? So for me, yeah, for me, I'm just not the whole we hit too big. Yeah, sure, I get it that you wanna you want people to be challenged. And I think we'll go on to talking about that in a bit. And I agree with that. I want golfers to be challenged. I don't want golf to be easy. Golf is freaking hard. Um, and I want golfers like you did this weekend, Ben, actually making the decision of, well, actually, do I need driver or should I be hitting something else? If they're making that conscious decision, great, fine. And that, and that you... for me, is where the, it has to ride on the PJ Tour to insist that the courses are set up a, uh, a certain way. We, you know, we talk about this kind of fairly regularly. It's surely they've got to demand more from the golf courses rather than changing the equipment that they've got. Because it, it comes down to also a great point. I can't remember who it was who made the point, but ultimately every piece of equipment that is made for the professional golfers, uh, and then these companies then pay these players to use, is to get us to buy it. Hundred percent. If they then all of a sudden bring out a driver which is promising to hit it forty yards less. Well, every single manufacturer is going to be making a huge loss on that because uh, who's going to buy a driver which is hitting it 40 yards less? Unless unless the all the governing bodies, all of them, say you now can't have this is new drivers coming in next year or even at amateur level, like there you have to have those. You can't play, you can't compete with anything, right? They're never and, going to do that. They'd be freaking uproar. Yeah, exactly. How are you going to enforce that to the average club golfer? You know, if you're if you're knocking up a driver for five hundred quid a pop, you know, golf's already a, a fairly pricey sport. I think we all we all accept that. But if you're trying to insist that everyone must now repurchase a five hundred pound driver when a year ago they might have just bought a new one, how on earth do you enforce that? Yeah, the 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 only the only way if they were re- if they really wanted to do it, a they'd have done it already. Is part of my thing here. But the only way that I could see them ever doing it is a bit like what they do, you know, baseball, even tennis, I think, restrict what you're in terms of um, racket uh, design, etc. quality, like the materials. So I think the only way they could at, at pro level. So I think the only way they could do it is say at pro level restrictions. Here's what you're allowed. Here's what you're not allowed. And then at amateur level open up because golf is hard enough for me. It is if I, if I have a driver that's consistent and doesn't hit it as far, well, I'm I'm totally buggered, aren't I? Like I've got no hope. So don't make it harder for the amateur. Like for me, that would be the a key thing. Um, you know, even I think in baseball is they brought in the aluminium and then suddenly they were like, yeah, process. Otherwise, they're hitting home runs every single time, and that's just silly. So I, I if they wanted to do something that I'm an advocate for it, but if they wanted to do it, that's how the only way I can see them doing it. Well, the interesting thing when it comes to those sports, we talk about baseball and we talk about tennis is you've essentially only got one kind of action in that game, which you can actually control, which is someone hitting the ball in baseball, someone slamming down a serve in tennis. Now, remember a driver is just one club that's in your bag. It's just one type of shot. And we all know that golf requires so many, so many different types of shots. Ultimately, at the end of the day, golf will always come down to accuracy. It doesn't matter if you can smash a ball 400 yards, if you can't putt, and if you don't have a short game. Now, with that said, um, there's two things I'm going to say. The first one is I'm going to pose you a question on the spot right now, which is if I can gift you one of two things uh, for the rest of your golfing career, okay? On the one hand, I will give you the gift of a guarantee every time you hit a driver, it's a minimum of 300 yards. In play, or, in play, I assume. No, no, no. no you mean just three hundred yards? Could be anywhere. Just the distance. Okay, we're purely talking about distance here. So you can either have a guaranteed three hundred yard hit, 
in a direction <laughs> or I can give you a guarantee of you never hit more than 34 putts in a round. Which are you going to take? Driving, 100%. Really? Yeah. Okay, really? Why? why? How yeah. good's your putting now? I mean, I flat out disagree with you, but... If I'm, I'm averaging near on 38 putts average, which isn't great, no. four shots. Sure. And I'm like, that puts me in... You know, you're going to have days where you hit 34 putts. You're going to hit have days where you hit sub 30 putts. But how many days do you step out onto the course and hit 300-yard drives every time? Very, very rarely. That makes short par fours gettable, all of them. That makes par fives, most of them, gettable in two, if you were to take a three-wood. Whereas, it, like I said earlier on, driver's still, I'm confident with the driver on my hand, but you're still going to hit that errant sky or one that goes... 250 just a bit short because it's an off-center hit i'm i'd be taking there for 300 yards mate interesting think about it it. in an average round of golf in your number of shots how many shots are you playing with a driver i'm a believer that success leaves clues and what are the pros prioritizing (laughs) at the moment Wow. wow what a statement that is pga pros are prioritizing what distance at the moment so for me it's what what if he changed it to like 30 putts? Because 34 for me, I feel like I'm quite confident getting 34 putts around now. Like yeah. that for me is a number that I'm quite, if you make it 30 putts, I'm in for putts, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, th- 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 30 putts, I might change my mind because I feel like, I feel like I'm getting near the driver mark as it is, but... Yeah, but based on right. my based on my current ability, a three hundred yard drive is only something I can dream of. So, dream uh, <laughs> so, so, but thirty four putts feels very achievable for me. If I hit more than that, I feel like I'm, I've done something badly. If the key is though in play, the key the key for me is in play. And if I, if I'm three hundred yards, like the other day, if I'm three hundred yards, the direction I was hitting my driver, I'm a hundred yards. In further into the shit than I was, than I was the other day. So, <laughs> I, so I think that's that's the key for I, for me. The short game is obviously more important. I know I could take three wood on most of the courses we play. I don't need a driver. If I'm brutally honest, on most of the courses we play, at the moment I don't drive. I could take three wood. I could even take my freaking three hybrid or four iron, and still, yes, I'm playing a longer iron in. I appreciate that, and I would most of the time like to give myself a shorter iron in. But I don't like. It's a real like. I don't need to. And as much as I'm about to, basically disprove what I'm about to say, it's very difficult to train speed. It's quite easy to train to become a better putter. That's true. To actually Ooh. get a lot faster and hit it. Tim disagrees. Tim disagrees. Four putts every round. Mate. <laughs> you can't. Say it's easy just saying. Just saying. You're not doing it. Anyway, I think you'll, by the tone of, of my voice, you'll probably guess where I'm going on this one. <laughs> absolutely take 34 putts every single time. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because, obviously, exactly as you guys are saying, look, technology in golf is not going to stop. It's I don't think, realistically, they're going to start putting on the handbrake and putting restrictions in place, Okay, which means players are going to get longer, which means that one of two things is going to happen with courses. Either, oh, sorry, one of two things should happen with courses. Either the courses are going to have to completely change and get longer, which is going to involve, you know, completely remodeling the majority of courses, including 
Augusta, St Andrews, Pebble Beach. You know, there's there's some there are some brilliant courses out there which are not long, long courses. So are going to change that way? Or the thing that's going to happen is accuracy is going to become that much more important. I you're going to have to think about right. I don't need to hit driver on this one. I'm going to take on a corner or lay up, or I'm going to have to get accurate, which means that the usage of drivers may actually become less prevalent in the game. And for that reason, that's why I would always prefer to have a short game guaranteed fit and ready and firing personally. Yeah. Can I jump in? I think the, yeah. I think a, a, and I'm sure we'll come to it in a minute. This weekend has proven this point down to a T, um, you know, with Webb Simpson taking the win, they over and over and again, it just didn't suit a big hitter. Like, or it didn't, you have to be, if you be a big hitter and accurate, you were fine. Um, I think the, the first time that I was like, hyper aware of this i've always been kind of aware of this but the first time i was hyper aware of it was that Ryder cup in france where it was super tight fairways if you were in the rough you were in all kinds of trouble because the fans were kept away from the fairway so they weren't flattening down the rough to make it easier if you were a bit wayward and the americans struggled they couldn't keep the ball on the fairway and when they yeah. couldn't keep the ball on the fairway they couldn't they just couldn't compete and then the more you look at it the pga courses super wide open fairways the rough is all trampled down like even um was it this weekend or um last weekend with the charles schwab challenge i think it was like and brooks hit a shot and it flew the green it went went like 30 something yards over and the commentator said had the fans been there that would have stopped five feet like from the green like it would have just kept bouncing whereas there would have been a stand there that would have been fans and then he would have had an easy recovery shot back onto the green instead He's now got a difficult shot back on yeah. um, because the the shot he played just wasn't, you know, he couldn't play it because the the fans the fans physically weren't there to be able to create the play for him. So I think the, for me, I would, I would love to see that. I would love to see more difficult courses that reward big hitters still, but accurate big hitters. That for me, I've got no issue with. That for me mm-hmm. is, that's win-win. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, that actually segues very nicely into what we're going to talk about next. Now, I think it's fair to say that the world and his dog has had an opinion on Bryson DeChambeau over the last, it feels like, four months, two or three weeks. Um, obviously, he was the big story, right, at Charles Schwab last weekend and continued to be a big story uh, this weekend just gone. Now, I'm going to lay some stats down because obviously we all know you can hit the ball a long way now. We all know this. However, I looked at some other stats from, and admittedly these are the Charles Schwab, so they are technically an event out of date, but they still stack up what I'm about to say. In terms of the field that was out there, in terms of strokes gained around the green, Bryson was 99th. In terms of greens in regulation, he was 32nd. And in terms of strokes gained in putting, he was 27th. Now, you compare that to Daniel Berger, who obviously was the winner, who no one talked about, I think it's fair to say, really until the Sunday and doesn't get a lot of, obviously, column inches. We talk about a guy who was 56th place in terms of shots, uh, strokes gained around the green, was 18th in putting. Now, clearly, what everyone is talking about is how Mr. Deschambeau has been training and everyone's got a view on his training regime and what he's been doing and if it's beneficial and all this kind of stuff as our resident 
personal trainer. <laughs> ben, I'm going to hand this over to you because I know you've got a lot of opinions on this and I want to just get a, your view. This is our this is our slice of golf take on the man that is Bryson DeChambeau right now. Ben, let's go. Cool. Right, so kind of backing uh, all of the hype and and, and to support the, the story, a bunch of stats I've got. So his uh, driving average on the season, uh, he's currently set to break the single season record, which has stood since 2003, which hmm. I was shocked at. I thought for how far some of the big boys hit it now, I thought for sure it was going to be a two, three-year-old thing. I'm not even going to attempt um, to... to, to to say the guy's name, um, I'll let you pronounce it how you like. Um, but Bryson's averaging 323.8 yards at the moment. In 2003, the leader at the time was knocking it 321. So there's in itself is not dispelling the myth, but a lot of the hype around, you know, biggest drive and all that stuff. This is where it becomes a, a, a bit of a gap. Uh, because And also, this actually surprised me as well, because everyone's talking about how big Bryson is and how far he's hitting it. Bear in mind, his average is 3-2-3. Second on driving average distance is Cam Champ with 320.8. So only three yards short of yeah. DeChambeau, which is, you know, that's not a lot uh, when we're talking over 300 yards. And then in third place is Rory and Bubba, pretty much exactly the same, on 319. So that then... It may be it, that really surprised me as well because Rory came out last week and said he, you know, Bryson's hitting at distances that you know can't even consider, sort of thing. Rory's only four yards behind him, which made me chuckle because I'm like, you are still whacking it a very, very long way. But the real, um, the the big thing with this, this is where I kind of properly geek out on human performance and stuff. It's the massive change he's made in comparison to last year. So. Uh, from what I read, again, maybe way off on the stat, but it says he joined the tour in, in 17. 17 to 18, his average is 305. 18 to 19 was 302. Mm. 19 to 20 is obviously 323. So he's gained 20 yards off the tee. Um, and then kind of going down the whole accuracy debate, he's currently hitting 61% of fairways. Last year was 65. And I think for a lot of the top pros, an additional 20 yards for 4% of fairways, particularly as we were just saying how the PGA fair, uh, roughs are set up, that's a pretty good trade-off. So this is where he's, he's getting the hype. To get 20 yards worth of speed is, is huge. But caveat to that, we've already mentioned it, he's made the leap, but he hasn't won anything yet. Webb Simpson's won a handful of times this year. He's fifth in the world, which oh, when I heard that, I couldn't believe it. His average driving distance is 300 yards, pretty much on the nose. And that ties him for 84th on the PGA Tour. So then that kind of spits in the face of the whole distance off the tee debate. Um, and then I, mean, it, it, I mean, really, really spits in the face of it. Like, not even just like a little bit. You're saying someone who ranks, you say 84th on distance. 84th on the PGA Tour for driving he distance. He ranks 84th on, and he he's a proven like actually a proven winner like actually goes out and wins tournaments so the the thing for me in this ben and you're probably going to come back to this and we've already said it it's the change and if if that 20 yards extra leads to more wins for bryson everyone will be following right but yep. following in the sense of 
if I can add 20 yards, how, like, how do I do it? Like, can I do it? Is like, and, and clearly that becomes a thing that I want to go get. If it, if it doesn't just adding 20 yards for the sake of adding 20 yards is silly, right? Because it doesn't actually help you. But Bryson's obviously like, I'm guessing the Bryson right being Bryson has done the, the stats and I'm guessing there must be some stats out though for every yard extra that you drive it theoretically you're able to make more approach shots which theoretically leads to more comps one i would guess mm. yeah the, the, there was an interesting story that broke over the weekend or i don't know if it's a story it's a comment that came out over the weekend just gone which it may have been picked up in the past apologies if it has but an interesting passion that i got was obviously Conversely, we've actually seen a bit of a return to form for Jordan Spieth, who we've talked a little Mm. bit about in depth on this podcast. Now, interestingly, one of the commentators said their opinion was that during the last 18 months, 18, 24 months, where it's been fair to say Jordan has not been firing, Mm. he was chasing distance. Now, clearly, if that Mm. is the case, it has absolutely not worked for him. And he now seems to be reverting back to what he to what he had before so again this is where it gets interesting because look bryson is 26 he's a, he's a young guy he's got a long career ahead of him and you know i'm sure exactly as chris says being the kind of person he is he will have done his diligence and research and all the science behind it but if we take jordan spieth as the example it may not be as simple as that i agree no, so i would two, agree with that there's two things for me here. One, we need to get James back on the show to discuss what players' psychology should be around this, uh, because 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 based on what he was saying last week, someone chasing distance might be beneficial for the mindset-wise, which leads to more wins. Jordan chasing distance clearly not something that he should have been doing. Um, no, but let me let me say this: if he adds twenty yards extra, does he win more? No, not in my opinion. No. Okay, interesting. Ben. Right, I'll go. I'll. Ben? I'm sitting on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. This is the thing. You know, Bryson has, like we said, he's added 20 yards, but there's no uh, definitive evidence we don't, we don't of success it. yet. We don't have enough time. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't have time to to measure the success. We need you, you need to give him another year, two years, by which time. The rest of the tour, if it turns out to be right, the rest of the tour are miles no. behind. Yeah, well, but then uh, which is great. I just, I, I again, I, I think Tim's point was is excellent because Jordan Spieth was. There's no getting away from the fact that he mm. was excellent. He was dominant, uh, and he, by the sounds of it, because uh, I, I also heard that statement that he did make a noticeable shift to to look into gain more distance. But often it's you know it's often at the expense of something else, and by the looks of it, it was a lot yeah. of accuracy, and then he clearly started having questions in his own golf swing, which is has led into two years of for a player of his quality um a lot of a lot of very very average golf which is, is surprising because you saw his career trajectory and you thought yeah he's, he's going somewhere here. Yeah. what about the physical side of it as well because obviously he's a much bigger dude now bryson and look i am not an expert in physiology and body composition but He's obviously carrying a lot of extra weight right now, and that's still quite the fair to say unique swing he's got. Is there any guarantee that the body can hold up to it? Can I can I also add else in? When I hear it's like when it maybe maybe still now, but football even five years ago, 
when I was talking about the physiological side of stuff, it makes me cringe. Like, like several years ago, it was in football commentators were making comments about, you know, like stuff that stuff that their sex person's cardiovascular, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, A, that's bullshit. And B, you don't, you, I know you've picked that up from somewhere and you think that's like right and you're saying it as truth. And that's what I felt the commentators yeah. were doing over the last couple of weekends with Bryson. They were making statements and, and I'm sat there going, really? Like, are you sure? And then I get to, to compound it. I get the message from Ben saying, guys, just that, that's physically, that's physically impossible to do. So, so I think we like be careful. Like commentators aren't yeah. experts in the world of strength and physiology. And when you hear them making these blanket comments, it like uh, I kind of go, oh, okay, this is like we're having pub chat now because, but we don't have the expert in the room to help us. So Ben, I just want to, I want to get your thoughts on it and, and hear it. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was where I was going. Was I wanted to get all the, all the stats out now? Kind of the the, the trainer head uh, kind of comes in. So as everyone's heard, we hear the commentators saying that. Bryson's put on 25 pounds in four months. Um, and I can say for certain, near enough certain, unless he's an absolute genetic freak, the type that we've never seen before ever in the history of the human race, uh, very little of that is going to be muscle tissue. There's something I, I, I heard on the Joe Rogan podcast recently, um, a guy who's widely regarded as to be the best bodybuilder of all time. He won multiple Mr. Olympias, which is their world title, uh, a guy called Ronnie Coleman. Obviously on, on drugs, a serious amount of steroids to get into the, to the size that he was uh, in the height of his career. This guy was 300 pounds, which is, I don't know what the conversion is to the UK, but I know he used to brag about that, significantly heavier than Bryson. Uh, he said that even he, with all the drugs and all the training he would do, in a whole year, 12 months, he would look to put on five to 10 pounds of muscle. Bear in mind, this is widely regarded as one of the, as I said, the greatest bodybuilders of all time, one of the biggest genetic freaks of all time, because that is what bodybuilders are. A lot of it's hard work. A lot of it's what they eat, the drugs and stuff. But if you're not genetically blessed, you're never going to be a good bodybuilder, let alone considered one of the best ever. So if he, <laughs> the peak of his powers, is looking to put on five to 10 pounds of muscle a year, how much do we realistically think Bryson has put on in four months? At tops, so I reckon four pounds of muscle. So there's at least... in Okay, so even four months. In okay. four months. And this is absolute tops if Bryson's a freak. Absolute tops. Just, on, quick, just jump in really, really quickly. Do we, is, it, is it a definite fact that Ronnie Coleman was on drugs and steroids just because I don't want us to be sued for libel? <laughs> uh, I mean, he spoke about being on performance and hunting drugs on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, <laughs> Good disclaimer there, Tim. I don't, yeah, there's no episode 11. Uh, they've been put out of business completely. Um, yeah, I think I, when the commentators are saying he's put on 20, 25 pounds of muscle in four months, even I'm like, are you sure? Like, that feels like a big, bold statement. He's put on 20, 25 pounds total. Sure. Like, don't, don't do that. And, and I think my question to you, Ben, was because yeah. even four pounds in four months of muscle feels like, okay, well, that's probably quite good. That alone is probably quite beneficial to his strength. That was, that would be outrageous. Four pounds of muscle would be okay. outrageous. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. So, so if he's, if he's developed that, I'm assuming four pounds four pounds equates to in terms of strength in terms of speed and because that would vary again per person i imagine but my question to you was he's obviously going after like super quick gains here 
do do you him by putting on 20 to 25 pounds of mass total and four of that being muscle if he'd only put on 10 pounds total would he have only put on two pounds of muscle and therefore wouldn't have the performance gains does that make sense yeah it does i'll kind of uh actually i will go down that route first and then i'll, I'll add on what i was 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 gonna say because i feel that the weight gain that he's had is excessive and i actually feel it's gonna okay. hinder him interesting because we've all been there where we've put on a few pounds right and we can't really move quite as quickly now I'm saying that from a perspective of we put on body fat. Well, he's going to have put on a higher percentage of fat than what he will have done, okay. muscle tissue there. So I actually think it's going to hinder him. You imagine bigger frame, you've got a lot more to move. It all factors around kind of um, the type of training he's been doing. If he's been doing a lot of speed work and he's been doing a lot of uh, explosive strength work, which he clearly has been doing, that's where you're going to see the performance benefit. You're not going to go into a gym, put on heaps of muscle and benefit from hitting the golf ball further. You know, if we were to stick a golf club into a bodybuilder's hands, now I know this ridiculous comparison, they're not going to be able to hit the ball anywhere near as far. Just they're not going to have that explosive power. Now, to develop muscle tissue, unless you are a complete beginner um, in lifting weights, which we can assume Bryson wouldn't be because he went to college in the States and they all lift weights, you need... Well, to put on muscle tissue, you need to be in either a calorie, uh, in a calorie maintenance phase or a calorie surplus phase. Now, maintenance is, is your body's not going to change much from a body composition uh, standpoint. So you're not going to put on much fat tissue, but the muscle tissue gain is going to be very, very gradual. What he's gone is, right, how can I pack on slabs of muscle as fast as I can? So he went in the calorie surplus. But he's gone very, very heavy on that. So say hypothetically he's put on four pounds of muscle tissue. You know, this is where I'm saying if he's a genetic freak, I, I believe that that is a very high end of how much he's put on. He's gained all of that fat. I don't think long term he's going to stay at that size. I think he will look to maintain that muscle tissue, which mm, is he's clearly the body fat. There you go. And gradually yeah. decrease the body fat. Got it. In yeah. the initial phases of that, he will see a reduction in his output, I believe, just because that's the way the body works. To come back down again, you, you've got to diet down a bit, and then you're switching into an energy deficit. So you've got to think of calories, it is energy. And if you're reducing the energy, you're feeding your body, which Brighton's clearly been feeding himself quite a bit to get to that size, you're going to see a trade-off. Now, overall, the gains he's going to have made, I think, are going to be huge. And I think the, the interesting one is the one they brought up at the weekend is Gary Woodland. Now, he didn't see much of a dip at all in his driving distance, but he reportedly lost 20 pounds. That, I think, is where it shows the actual weight is an arbitrary number. It's actually training that they've been doing. You know, Gary Wooden possibly feels better than he ever has because he's leaner. Bryson probably yeah. feels better than he ever has because he's whacking the ball further. It's all yeah. case dependent and their own kind of mindset and what they value. And that's where Bryson's gone, right, I'm going to go whole hog to hit the ball furthest, which he's, he's, he's going to achieve. And then Gary's gone, right, I probably want to feel a little bit better, get a bit leaner, so I don't feel quite so achy and as sore the following day. And whatever other performance benefits come with, with, with him being smaller in his particular shape. This is where I think long term, I don't think Bryson will or can stay at that size. Hopefully that wraps up your question, right? Yeah, interesting. So where... Where did um, 
just putting on spot. Where do we know if Gary Wooden finished above Bryson in any of the last two weekends? Just out of any chance? Cool. Bus under, thrown, can't remember. Stop <laughs> my head. I've got no idea. Basically, I was going to bring this back. So, just in terms of the old, the original question about accuracy versus length, just to bring things full circle, I'm going to do a round the table because there's clearly still more to be discussed on this one, but I'm going to just try and wrap this up a little bit. Personally, I'm saying accuracy every single day of the week is a bigger deal to me than length. Chris? 100% accuracy. Ben? Context. Pause. <laughs> okay, right. Sorry. I know that's a spanner. Well, firmly okay. on the fence. No, put, it, put it this way. If, if you're saying, Chris, you lose... 20 yards of distance to gain the accuracy i'm i'm questioning it if you're saying if you're saying you can keep your current level of thing but or distance but improve i don't need extra distance if that makes sense i'm not worried about gaining 40 extra yards if i'm losing accuracy does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely that makes sense in that sense i'm gonna put that same same one for you then ben if i have you can either sacrifice 20 yards of driver distance to gain, and let's say minor, let's say to, to shave five or six putts off per round. Are you taking that? No, again, because I still feel like I can work on and improve the putting. I think gaining speed, this is where it's so impressive for me because gaining speed, gaining power is incredibly hard to do. And Bryson's gained 20 yards of it. I think that, for me, outweighs the practice on the putting green that you can put in. A putt is very much about technique and feel, which I feel like you can develop quite quickly, whereas yeah. you know, strength, power, uh, and, and developing that distance is very challenging to do. All right. I mean, we we, Plus, we, we do need to move on because there are other things we just, definitely, definitely need just to one, just one, Just one final thing. One more thing. If, if Ben loses his distance, yeah. he's got – what's his ego going to live off? That's, that's all oh, he relies on. Like He exactly. relies on being telling people that he just, hits – big bombs and if he just, can't do that just, then what's he got left so just regularly winning tournaments so <laughs> take that one so just to wrap this section up if you did if you came to the price of golf hoping for an answer to the perennial uh accuracy versus draw uh distance question um we haven't got it sorry uh, you're gonna need to just keep this thing <laughs> and we're gonna need to keep it one. so unfortunately we've not provided you an answer right there but hopefully we've uh, some interesting thoughts anyway. Just just let me, just, sorry, Tim, just let me finish off on the, on the Bryson thing. It's, it's uh, can you? With a, no, with, with a Bryson thing. So, you know, people often mirror what's going on with the pros um, and think, right, if they're doing it, it's it, it must kind of work. Don't think that kind of slapping on loads and loads of muscle tissue is going to help you start hitting the ball further. Um, yeah. It really isn't about that. Um, it's all about the training that you're doing. So golf, as much as it gets labelled as kind of a, a you know an old man sport, jokingly um, from people who don't play the game, if you think about what a golf swing is, it's it's an explosive movement. It's a fast twitch based movement. So we're talking aggressive rotations, and it's about you staying balanced whilst developing that power. Um, going into the gym and just aiming to put on loads and loads of muscle tissue by hitting the bench press however many times in the session isn't necessarily the right way to go about doing it. Bryson, yes, he has put on muscle tissue. He has put on this weight, but he has been doing it in the right manner in a sense of he's clearly been working on explosive power. 
rather than just hitting the weights for the sake of getting bigger. Final excellent. mic excellent. drop message. Genuinely, genuinely excellent point. Very well made to all our gym going friends out there. Now, speaking of longest hitters, and this is not, I'm, I'm, I promise I'm not going to talk about longest hitters. I promise. <laughs> on, that long, on that long hitters list, um, we heard our man Sergio Garcia being mentioned. Now, did anybody hear Rory McElroy's comments over the weekend? Chris, I think you did, didn't you? Oh, can, I, can I start with Sergio? You can. Okay, so I've got, because there's two comments that I, I want to talk about. Talking about commentators annoying me. Uh, did anyone hear the commentators talking about Sergio? I think it was on, it was either on Friday or Saturday. Uh, I'm hoping someone listening also heard this. They, the, the camera went to Sergio and they were like, oh, here's Sergio. Wonder what he can do this weekend. Um, because he hasn't won since he won the Masters in 2017. And I thought, is that, is, is that right? Like, you know, you're a bit like, I'm not sure that's accurate. So go on, go on to the Google, look on Google. He has, he's won three times since then, just all on the European <laughs> tour. So the PGA commentators are just clearly not accepting European tour wins as an actual win and just forgetting about those and then raising those off. And that for me just felt like a little bit of a, uh, probably a bit of a kick in the face for Sergio, if I'm honest, if I heard that back. And that just irritated me. So I just wanted to make sure that we all brought that up and made sure that Sergio has in fact won since then times on the European tour and done a bloody good job. Seems yeah. a bit of a cheap shot as well, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> European tour from our, uh, our friend. Across I, was, the I was just like, how have they, how, are they saying that as in, he, they've just literally just not been given the stats and they just don't know that he's won on the European tour. Or are they literally saying a European tour without my best? Because it wasn't like they said he hasn't won on the PGA tour since then. It was like he just hasn't won. I was like, that's not accurate. That annoyed. Um, moving on. Rory's comments. Yes. What about this? Last week, or I can't remember what it was, the week before we spoke about was it fair PGA tour was starting back up and the European tour wasn't. Talking about world rankings, talking about the European tour players not being able to go across and play on the PGA tour. And, you know, we had the good discussion around it. And then Rory comes out this weekend and says that the European tour players that are not coming over and playing clearly don't, aren't taking it seriously enough because this is Rory's view. The players all could have come across. I didn't even realize this. I assumed they weren't allowed to travel. The players could have gone across and done quarantine before the starts of the tournaments had they wanted to compete a did you guys know that that they could have done that b how do you feel about rory's comments about the players not taking it seriously because they're not willing to go across and do the two weeks quarantine first like how do we feel how, tim well firstly i think rory's in a a unique position because obviously he's he's living in the states okay so he's not exactly got the complete context potentially now whether or not you go through the two-week quarantine process, now that's just one matter because, A, what are you doing for those two weeks? Because you're not out preparing, I'm assuming. I'm, I'm assuming you're not preparing for your event. Um, so there's that to consider. Um, you know, just from a kind of a practical, humane point of view, does anybody really wanting, want to be going anywhere near an airport at the moment? I don't. I don't want to go anywhere near an airport right now. So I... I respect respectfully disagree with Rory on 
that one. Um, I, I can I can see where he's coming from. I, I do understand his point that, you know, if, if they're going to make a song and dance about it and, you know, um, yes, theoretically, someone could, could someone practically go out and quarantine for two weeks and play an event? Yes, practically, theoretically, they could. However, my view is, A, there's a bigger situation going on in the world right now, believe it or not, than golf. Um, and secondly, there's quarantining for two weeks and being able to prepare to go at your best for an event, which I don't think you're going to be able to do if you're in quarantine for two weeks, is my view. Fair. Ben? My, with, with with this, I, I've been to and fro uh, and kind of changing my mind on how I thought about it ever since I heard it. First, first of all, uh, I echo Tim's point. Who on earth wants to jump on a plane right now? I, I actually didn't realise you could. I didn't know that you could get to uh, the States. It's not bringing into even consideration that any of these European tour boys are looking after family at this moment in time. Um, they don't have a permanent residence in the States. So what are you saying? They stay in hotels consistently for, we don't know how long this is going to go on for, particularly okay. in the States. If it's any, you know, I'm taking this from a standpoint of what JT said about Harbour Town itself was he, I think he used the words, it's like a zoo. So that, you know, is the virus going to continue to remain in the States, which would also therefore bring into yeah. question, well, should I go? Would I go? This is hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. freak situation we're in. I wouldn't understand the rush to get back to it, particularly with European countries being pretty strong on their stance at the moment and almost remaining on lockdown. And that, again... It's probably the similar stance to Rory had. I'm saying that from a fairly naive and blinded perspective of, well, I'm in the UK currently. So all I really see is what's going yeah. on in the UK and we hear tidbits of what's going on in Europe and the States. Rory could be the same. All he's hearing really is what's going on in the States and not necessarily the same with Europe. So I think he, obviously he was put on the spot and I get to a certain degree that his, his point of not really caring about the careers but any European player who's still in Europe is going to be sat there thinking immediately, well, there's more to life than that, mate. You know, we could literally get sick and die coming over just to play a golf tournament. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's face it, the top pros that he's implying, they're not short of a few bobs. So it's not like they're going to be desperate to get back to work, are they? But I, th and I think that's the thing, right? I think if you're, if you're one of the top, however top, 40, 30, 20, whatever, right? That's where you go, okay, feasibly, feasibly, is that even a word? Like, it's feasible to do it, right? You could get <laughs> a house, you could take your whole family across, and you could quarantine for two weeks. Like, you could have around, like, it's physically possible. The people that aren't in the, however many, might not be able to do that, right? All of a sudden, then you're saying, well, I go across on my own, and then I'm not on a team, I'm then in a whole different place, and the, but then you're right. You've just said like the people that can afford to do it probably will choose not to because need to. So I think it becomes a very very different ball game depending on where you are, who you are, who you've got around you. Single golfer, no no issue. Like made may may make the decision to go across because they've got no one else to worry about type thing. But even then you're like, well, do I need to? Yeah, and then think about it coming the other way. What if European countries locked? Yeah, lock yeah. up again and say, look, no one's come back. coming in from international travel. So <laughs> players are not allowed to see their kids for six months, eight months, a year, however long this you know this goes on for. No one knows. 
I think personally, I think European players are making the right decision. Uh, if you noticed a random pause or change in perhaps Tim's mic or anything like that, uh, it's because Tim decided to leave us their uh, internet connection or something is cut out. And often, well, more often than not, it's foulest that this happens to this Tim. Uh, so uh, you say more than often than not, that's two two. That brings <laughs> it all square, <laughs> it my friends. I've thought of the internet woes. The joys of remote recording, that is now two all between William and Fowlis. Yes. Um, all I was going to say on that point is I, I, I feel like um, Rory was probably put on the spot a little bit in a press conference and may may have given a slightly hasty answer. I'm, I'm going to choose to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. Yeah, I reckon he. it's one of those. I think he he's going to have regretted saying that. Um, I yeah. don't think he's going to have fully believed it. When he saw that back, he probably thought, mm, shit, actually, no, probably sure. not the not the best thing to say. Yeah, well, we all we all say funny things when the pressure is on, and you know we're talking about whether we'd rather be able to hit a driver a long way or fewer. We'll move on from that one. Now, we um, just before we wrap up for this week, um, we have ourselves an interesting little event coming on this weekend, which I'm going to hand over to Chris to introduce and talk us through. Uh, so, what is happening? Well. We before all the lockdown happened, we got our first event, Sunday Red event, out of the way, didn't we? Over at Bletching Me, uh, lots of plans in place for the next following months. All of a sudden, that got cancelled. Everything stopped, obviously. Um, and then now that we're allowed to get back out, we've had we've actually had one event in northwest uh, of England, which went down an absolute. Uh, treat they did a kind of a, a team scenario which was which worked out fantastic it was the hackers versus the bandits uh it just looked like it was a, an awesome day this weekend we've got the surrey golf day i think there's 48 people uh booked on and coming along on sunday so which is super cool right so that's that's people that have some of them met at the last golf day but lots of them haven't met each other before coming along won a lot of competition want some fun want some banter uh Obviously, with the current restrictions, we're not having the uh, the post-round beer, food, etc. straight after at the clubhouse. But what we're doing instead is we're going to do a virtual one in the evening. So after everyone will come in, we'll do the prize giving virtually. So I think we still manage everyone to have a beer ready, etc., which I think is good. But yeah, looking forward for golf club. There is water, and I'm not joking when I say there's water in play on 14 of the 18 holes, uh, which terrifies me. Even look at the Google Maps, oh like satellite view. It's just there's more water than there is grass. Uh, I was once told never plan a golf day on a difficult course because you want people to enjoy themselves. I feel like I should have listened to that now. Um, <laughs> I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm a bit worried about the uh, about the day. It's also part big reason that I wanted to go back to Perford. It was the place that I played. I think it was like my second round when we first got back into this, and it was where by the tenth hole I'd rung and rung a coach and booked a lesson because I'd lost so much on the front nine. So I'm quite excited to get back there and battle my demons. I uh, haven't played there since. So uh, excited to get back out there. But yeah, 48 people uh, coming along. It's going to be an awesome day. Really looking forward to it. We've got all kinds of prizes, all kinds of competitions going on. Uh, and just the 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 vibe in the group is just amazing. Everyone seems to be looking forward to excited to meet others, even though we can't do the, the post-round stuff. So, yeah, just absolutely buzzing. and just gets me excited for events that we'll do in the future, uh, some majors perhaps and things like that. So just absolutely buzzing. And you're both coming along as well, obviously. So uh, looking forward to seeing you guys there. Yeah, I, I, with, with that, with the sound of that, I should be bringing the, uh, my, my cheaper golf balls for this <laughs> yeah. 
Um, now, Chris, for anyone who might be listening to us for the first time or a new uh, a new participant, and they might be thinking, oh, you know what? That sounds awesome. That sounds like my cup of tea. How how can someone get how do how do people get involved with this? Is it something that people can just sign up to? Um, is there any fee involved? Um, you know, what 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 do the guys people what do people need to do to get involved with this in the future? Hundred percent, really good point. At the end of every show, we talk about the Sunday Red Golf Club. That is where all the information is. Um, so if you're on Facebook, literally search Sunday Red Golf Club and you'll find a group with us all in. There's at the time of recording this, I think there's 2,250 members all around the UK. Uh, it's awesome. The events are currently going up in there. Also goes out on email. So if you don't have Facebook, go to sundayredgolf.co.uk and just uh, join the club. And that way you'll get notified by email about all the upcoming events. And I'm, you know, the Northwest event will go out as well. And any other events, I've had someone reach out to me from uh, Scotland saying they want to help organize some events for Scotland as well, which is great. And I think there's um, Cardiff, Wales, uh, I think. Uh, I, I might be keen to take the trip up yeah, to Scotland. I think I might sign really, up to that yeah, one. Yeah, 100%. Bit. I think there's going to be there's going to be some really nice courses um, being played all over. It's not, we you know, the majors, I think, will be the nicer slightly nicer round like courses that we wouldn't normally but the the monthly comps we're aiming at being the kind of the the just tour kind of if you like of of different areas different courses uh so best thing is go to the website uh sign up there or if you're on facebook go to the facebook group and join the facebook group there is a new website going live in the next couple of weeks which will have all the events all the the order of events etc on there uh but yeah you don't you don't need to there's no fee for the club there's obviously pay the green fee for for the day and we often put in a bit extra for prizes and stuff um but that will vary depending on where you are where we're playing what we're doing um etc what food food included etc um yeah we'd love anyone anyone who loves their golf likes a bit of banter doesn't take themselves too seriously so i'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast you'll probably fit right in if if you got to episode one and have stopped listening a you're not hearing this because you're not listening uh and b you're probably not a right fit for for the group anyway so don't take yourself too seriously but like to compete like to have some fun and like to try a game you'll fit right in and i think you'll uh, i think you'll enjoy it and would love to have you uh come along absolutely can't wait and looking forward to seeing uh Seeing lots of faces this weekend. Um, 100%. And can I just add in there, Tim? Lots, a few of the people coming this week, there's no, we don't have like, you have to have a Congo official handicap. Point. Um, this is actually a conversation for another day. Uh, we, we tend to, if you've been using an app for a while and have got a series of courses logged, great, we can use that. If you don't, then we actually, would, I think we've got two people coming along who don't have an app, don't have the official handicap. They're just using this as their first round in being logged into an app like that that for us is key we've actually and this is a whole debate for another day guys i got into a conversation about you know quote unquote official handicaps Mm. being totally more accurate had one person within the group who's coming to this day who said look my official congo handicap is 21 the club won't let like he keeps handing in cards but they're not in official competitions or whatever his app says he plays off so he's messed look I'm not going to play off 21 because I don't want to win playing off 21. He's like, I, I want to play off what the app tells me, which is a much more accurate reflection, which is 11. Um, so look, you don't need to have an official handicap. It's all about getting lots of people into the game and loving it. So yeah, get involved. Fantastic. As I say, look forward to seeing lots of people this weekend and obviously lots of people out there, please, please do get involved. You know, we'd love to see this community growing if you have any interest at all, if you're a complete beginner, if you're looking to get back in, if you're just looking to meet more like-minded people, 
just feel free get involved um that probably wraps us up in a very nice bow for this week uh next week as a little bit of a feature we are going to be talking about do you need to buy expensive golf balls or conversely can you just use uh cheap ones next week is also going to see the return of our dream golf club that is going to be a welcome return on features next week uh but for that as ever thank you very much for listening as ever i'm tim williams uh and the boys we will see you next week thanks very much later see you later guys bye guys As ever, thank you so much for listening, guys. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Uh, This has been brought to you, as Chris says, by Sunday Red. You can check it out at sundayredgolf.co.uk to join a community of like-minded golfers. And the now free Tour Champ at tourchamp.co, where you can go to build leagues and your own race to events with all your mates. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next week.